as I've walked these many miles, have aged my hands, bruised my feet. Pressing my pen to the paper, leaving a legacy that I did not intend. In our truest character, I don't believe we intend to be great. Our minds waver with fear that our heart is not capable of great things. What is our potential as heroes? Will we be people that run away from the fire or toward it? Destination may be unknown, but my path is set. My journey is fixed on one direction: forward. Maybe it's that very thing that defines us as legends—the hero of our stories. Above all else, our desire. Our hope should now and always be to move forward. Hello, good morning, Cornerstone. How's everybody doing? Isn't it good to be here? I think it's amazing to be here this morning. I'm so glad uh, that you're here with us. I uh, want to do a quick shout out. If we could just uh, do a shout out for Santan, everybody. Woo! Oh, yeah. What about Scottsdale? We're excited about Scottsdale. Give a shout out to Scottsdale. If you're watching online and uh, if you're in our overflow room, we're excited that you're here with us. Um, as you know, we've been in this conversation, or maybe you don't know, maybe it's your first time, welcome if it is, um, but we've been in a conversation uh, about Paul uh, and, and in the book of Acts. And it's been a great conversation. Tim uh, Beal's done a great job. Lynn, it's everybody. And so I'm just excited to be up here to share uh, with you a little bit more about Paul's life. Now, the thing is, though, is when I, when I see that video, right, I, I just go, man, like, like Paul's intense. Don't you? You, you watch that and you go, yeah, Paul's, you know, or when we think about like a legend like Paul, it just seems so out of reach. It seems almost inconceivable that we would understand how powerful Paul is or inconceivable to think that I could ever be like Paul, right? And, and Tim last week brought this idea that, hey, you know what? Paul was just a man and he was, um, Paul was just a man, just, and, and, and you know what? He dealt with some of the same things that we deal with, but I think sometimes it seems just again, inconceivable that, uh, we could ever get to his stature. Well, interestingly enough, when you look in, in past history, there's some, uh, extra biblical sources that actually describe what Paul looked like. Cause see, in my mind, I always have that Paul is this, you know, big, kind of, you know, buff guy, he's like, you know, chiseled and, you know, ready to take on the world. Well, actually, it's interesting. The the sources say Paul was like this. Number one, he had a face like an angel. So I don't know if that's Justin Bieber-ish, you know. I, I don't I don't know what that, that means, but he had a face like an angel. Uh, he was very short in stature. Um, now, you have to understand, uh, in that world, in that culture, being 
being called short was really short because the the culture was already short and society was already short. So he was he was uh, he looked like Justin Bieber. No, maybe not. And uh, and he was short in stature. But it also says that he was uh, a bow legged. So whenever he walked, his knees would knock in and out. Okay, so you could kind of see him cackling around trying to, you know, get places. Um, it also said that uh, he was balding. So, like a lot of you guys here this morning, I could see. I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought that was really, I'm going to laugh at that one on the way home. But, um, so so he was balding, he was bow-legged, and also said that his his eyebrows were meeting in the middle. <laughs> So if you know what that means, he had a giant eyebrow. So when, when I picture Paul now, um, I picture Paul more like, like this. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> Inconceivable. 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 You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right. One of my favorite movies. I don't know about you if that's one of your favorite movies. It's inconceivable. All right. So here's, here's the truth. Paul was a man. And the only thing that made Paul different was that he said yes to God more often. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, whatever God asked Paul to do, he would do it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack a story uh, in the book of Acts. We're going to unpack one of Paul's journeys. And uh, and we're going to look at it, and we're, I'm going to kind of comment on a few things, and then at the end, make some observations. And hopefully, you'll you'll go home with some things that you can take and say, you know what? Um, you know, my life can be changed because of, of Paul's life and because some of the things that Paul did and be challenged by that. So let me pray. And would you pray with me? And then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. God, we do thank you. Um, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. And we thank you for being able to be here and learn about you this morning. I pray Lord that you would break down any walls or any barriers and Lord that your uh, spirit would move in people's hearts and lives right now that they would leave this place changed for you in your name. Amen. So we're going to catch up we're going to catch Paul while he's in prison. And what's happening in this section is he's in prison because the Jewish leaders uh, did not like what he was doing. He was basically witnessing about Jesus and sharing his story about Jesus and people were converting to Paul's teaching. So the the Jewish leaders went and tried to kill him and the Romans stopped him, so they put him in prison, and they didn't know what to do with him. The Jews are like, hey, kill him. The Romans are like, well, we don't want to kill him, but we don't want him on the streets. So he's sitting in the midst of prison. Finally, through all these discussions and different things happening, he's meeting with different leaders here and there. He fought, Paul finally says, hey, the only way this is going to get fixed is if I go and see Caesar himself. Now, Caesar's the man. He's basically controls all the Roman empire. And, and he said, I, I, if I talk to you, it's not going to, I need to go talk to Caesar. Now, the problem was Paul's in Jerusalem and he needs to go to Rome or to Italy. And, uh, and the only way you can do that is by ship. So they finally come down to an agreement and say, okay, Paul, we'll send you to Rome. You can plead your case before Caesar. So the Jews are all excited because he's leaving and, and, Ro- and, and Paul's all excited because he's going to go to Rome and plant a bunch of churches even though they don't on the Romans dime because he's getting a free ride. That's why he's going. So they set sail and they're preparing to go to Rome. Now they hit a couple of towns on the way. And then what happens is as they're hitting these towns, uh, these different ports as, they, as, as they're on their way to Rome, um, it's taking a lot longer than it should. Now, back then, you can't travel on the, on the seas 
you know, all the time. In the winter, it just shuts down because of the storms. Now it's getting close to that time, and they're at a port waiting to go out. And this is where we're going to pick up that story. I have my Bible right here. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 27 with me and look at this. Acts 27 verse 9. It's probably if you go to the back of your Bible all the way to the end and then probably like an inch and a half to the left. It's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So in Acts 27 verse 9, this is where we're going to pick up the story. Listen to what it said. It says, it says, so, so much time had been lost and sailing had become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. Basically meaning, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, basically it just means this. It was, it was coming winter time again when the winds start kicking up. And then it says, so Paul warned them. In verse 10, he says, so men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Um, and then he, and, and it says verse 11, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix. They were coming here, um, and winter there. Hey, everybody comes here for winter time. Um, so, so basically what happens is Paul's like, Hey guys, listen, and he's just a prisoner. Remember, he's just a prisoner on the boat. But he's their connection to God. And Paul's like, guys, listen, uh, if we go, you, you see those clouds out there? Um, it's going to be disastrous for us. And you know what's going to happen is there's going to be storms and we may die and the ship may get destroyed. Well, the centurion at the time, the leader of, over that ship is like, no, we're not going to listen to you, Paul. And all the crew got together and they were like, no, you know what? We don't want to stay here. We're going to move on. We're going to move. We're going to go through the storm and, and go to Phoenix because Phoenix is a better place, right? Amen. Phoenix is always a better place. And, and so that's where they're ta- they're ta- they want to take off into Phoenix. Have you ever, have you ever ignored what God said? Have you ever came in on a Sunday morning and Lynn will be talking and having a message and he's very clear on what the word of God says and, and you listen and you go, ah, I don't believe that. <laughs> or that doesn't apply to me. Or maybe you hear something really powerful and, and, and God's word is saying something to you and, and you, you kind of, well, you kind of argue with yourself and say, well, you know what? I know what the Bible says, but I believe because that's what's happening right here. How many times in our life does someone in spiritual leadership talk into our lives and we ignore it? And what we don't realize is we're on the cusp of a huge storm. How many things would you, in your life, would you look back at and go, you know what, if, if, if I would have just, if I would have just listened, right? If I would have just, if I would have just heeded the words, if I would have just, you know, not just came to listen to a, a message on Sunday, but actually applied the message on Sunday and actually did something. Do you realize, and I'm not, I'm not here to, I'm not, bra- I'm not bragging about pastors or anything, but do you realize, I mean, our whole life is spent studying the word of God. And we study the word of God so that we can deliver a message so that you can live the word of God. So that you can have the tools. Now, now that doesn't mean you don't go and study the word of God on your own. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, like, that, that's why we spend all the time doing what we do. 
is so that you could take what God says and apply it to your life and live it out so that you could be more like that. I mean, that's why we do what we do. And how many times do I not listen? How many times do you not listen? And that's exactly what's happening right here. When somebody says this, you know what? I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says, but gosh, that book is old. Right? Have you heard that? Oh, the book, that, that book is so outdated. I mean, culture is so different now than it was then. People are totally different. So whatever it says in there, they discount and they make their choices and decisions based upon what? What they think is the best thing. Well, I read this psychology book or I read this philosophy book. I, my parents taught me this. Uh, Oprah said this, you know, <laughs> whatever that is. And then we base our decisions upon what? Some man, not the word of God. Let me ask you this. The Bible says to forgive those that hurt you. I've actually had people say, well, I'd rather hold a grudge. What's better for you? Is it better and you draw closer to God and be obedient when you forgive someone? Or when you hold that grudge and the rest of your life you're bitter and angry? God's way is the best way. And too many times we forget that. And Paul is telling these guys, he's saying, hey, look. Look, I get it. I know, hey, you know what? You probably know what you're doing. You probably know the... But 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 listen... I know something that you don't. And here, I'm going to warn you, but if you don't want to listen, go ahead. And so the next scene is this. You see this ship and all these guys cheering on, let's go into the heart of the storm. And you see these clouds in the distance. And all of a sudden that ship leaves port and takes off. How many times have we done that? I know what God says. I know, but I'm going to do it on my own. And where does that leave you? Let me ask you this. Would If you needed heart surgery, would you go to your neighbor and say, hey, bud, I'm having problems with my heart. Can you get out your drill and kind of work on me here? Or would you go to the person that knows us best and created us? Because if you believe that God is who he says he is, then we listen to what he says because he knows what's best for you and I. And that's what happened with Paul, and they didn't listen. And when we don't listen, we end up in the storm. So they move out and, 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 the, and, the, and the ship starts to sail and they're having a blast. And then, a, you know, maybe a day or two in, all of a sudden, these huge winds pick up and, uh, and, and they're trying to take the boat on the coast. But when they take the boat on the coast, the wind's coming up and pushing them against the coast. And so they have to sail back into the, to the sea a little bit more and they're going back and forth. And, and it says there was a violent wind and violent waves. You can picture it this way, as, as, a, as a huge boat, probably holds about 250, 260 people, it's going, these waves are coming, and, and the bow of the boat is going all the way up, and they're like, whoa, and then it goes all the way down, and the waves come through, and all the way up, and all the way down, and they, it's not stopping, and they're freaking out. And so as this proceeds, they realize, you know what, we've got to do something. And so they, 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 you know, they put down the sails, they, they take some rope. This is how bad it got. And they begin to wrap the boat like a cocoon. So they're taking rope and going under the boat because they don't want the hole to break because the waves are so bad. And they're in the midst of this huge storm. 
And then it gets to the point where they say, we're not going to survive. We're not going to make it. We better start throwing our cargo overboard. So they grab their cargo. That's, you guys think about this. That's why they're doing what they're doing. That's their livelihood. That's their future. That's everything they have. But they're going to die. So they have to throw it overboard. So they start throwing their cargo overboard. It gets so bad, they had to start throwing all their boat tools overboard, all the pulleys, all the things, all the rope, because it was weighing them down. They started throwing everybody overboard. No, they're not throwing people overboard yet. And they're throwing things overboard. And then Paul stands up in the midst of it all. And Paul goes, hey guys, um, <laughs> I, you know, I just want to share this with you real quick. Um, remember what I said back at the port? <laughs> You remember what I said? He said, so, um, I told you this would happen. I told you that if we do this, we're going to end up in a storm and we're all going to die. Now, now here's the good news. The good news is, um, God told me that you're all going to survive. Awesome. The bad news is he said, we're going to crash into an island. And so Paul looks at him and basically tells him this. Now think if you were that person. Think if you were on that ship and you were right there and you were listening and, and you realized, man, I made the wrong choice. I didn't listen. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe God told you something. Maybe the word of God told you not to do something. Maybe, maybe God told you not to go somewhere and you went there. Maybe you made a decision and you knew you shouldn't have made that decision. And all of a sudden you're in the midst of the storm. You can't go back to port because you're already in the middle of the ocean and the waves are crashing over your life and they're sinking your boat and you don't know what to do. And in the midst of that, Paul, you know, or God, if you want to say, he's kind of the God figure in this, right? He's saying, hey guys, um, hey, just want you to know you're not going to die. Bring some encouragement, but you're going to crash the boat. Your boat's done. Your livelihood's gone. Everything you've earned, everything you have is done. But you're going to survive. That's how these guys felt. Maybe that's how we've felt. If only I'd listened. And I feel tired. I feel hopeless. I feel alone. Listen as it goes on. In Acts 27, 33, Paul continues. So they're going through all this. And listen to what it says. says, It says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. What? That seemed kind of weird. In verse 33, it says, Paul urged them to eat. And then Paul says this. He says, for the last 14 days. Wait, stop there. 14 days. Now imagine this. 14 days nonstop. Woo. Woo. Up and down. Up and down. You have no idea where you're going, where you're heading, what you're doing. You're, that boat is going wherever the wind's going to take you. They, they're going crazy. They feel like they're going to die for 14 days. 14 days they're out there. And then it says this. It says, you've been out there 14 days. You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. And you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Why would he do that? Why would he do that in the midst of a storm? They could die. And Paul says, wait, wait, wait. No, guys. Um, it's time to eat. 
Because God cares. You know, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of my storms, we can't focus on the storm. And in this, they were so worried about the future, right? They were so worried about what was coming that they didn't take care of themselves in the midst. Eating without, not eating for 14 days, being on the ocean like that for 14, I mean, they were probably on the brink of death anyway, just physically. And Paul said, stop, stop, stop. Stop and eat. Stop and refocus. A few years ago, I had my storm moment. My family and I, I was working at a place absolutely loved and God was doing some incredible things. And um, it came to a point where they had to let me go. And, and I believe not for good reasons and not for right reasons. And regardless of that, it was just a difficult time. Now you have to understand when you're a pastor, you don't just work somewhere. You live there. Um, your, your life is immersed with the people that you work with. So it's not just losing a job or a position. It's losing friends, sometimes family, uh, sometimes people that you love dearly, um, that you've invested your life in and they've invested their life in you. And so I'm in the midst of this storm. I'm in the midst of this place where I thought I was going to be the rest of my life. I was in the midst of saying, hey, and, and, and it was, don't, you don't belong here anymore. And I said, well, that, I, what is going on? And it, it was, you guys, it was hard. It was a, a very difficult time. And I remember right after that happened, my first thought was, oh my gosh, you know what? Am I, I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of, you know, I've got to find another job, another position, and I'm doing all that I can. And uh, I'm going crazy. I'm filling out applications everywhere. I'm sending my resumes everywhere. You know, Taco Bell's looking good at this point. And uh, I'm like, wherever you need me, I'm going to go. Um, and, and my mind is focused on the storm. And my mind is focused on the negative things. And my mind is focused on what I don't have. And my mind is focused on the waves and everything crashing over me. And I remember in the midst of that, I had a a, a guy who looks for employers. You know, he's basically a Christian headhunter. And uh, what he does is he helps you find a position and a job. And I remember we were talking. He said, Bill, I have to be honest with you. He said, um... I wouldn't recommend you get hired anywhere. I said, what? And then I'd start, the waves are crashing. I'm like, what am I going to, this guy doesn't even believe in me. And I start, you know, what's going on? He goes, dude, you're, he goes, you're out of control. You're, you're focused on the wrong things. You need to stop, slow down and focus on Jesus and focus on your relationship with him and not your position and not any of your future. So you can be in a right place in order for you to work again. And he looked at me, or he didn't look at me because he was on the phone. And he told me and he said, hey, um, you can't call me for two weeks. And don't go to church. Don't apply anywhere. Just spend time with your wife, your family, and God and hung up. I hated him in that moment. But after that two weeks, it was the best thing that he had ever done. Here's why I say this is I was going through this terrible storm and crazy, right? Who knew that that storm would bring me right here to Cornerstone? Who knew that 
that in the midst of my darkest moment, my darkest time, God brought me to a place that I absolutely love and with a team that I absolutely love and a church that I absolutely love to a, to a, to a place where I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm participating. And I'm, 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 do you know what I'm saying is here I was in this darkness and all of a sudden God brought me to this place. And it was only when I surrendered was I able to truly experience him. Only when I was able to say, hey, you know what? I need to take some time out and eat some food. And so here's what I'm saying for you is maybe it's time for you in the midst of your storm to relax and eat some food. Go out today and spend a hundred bucks on a steak. Whatever that is. Well, no, not if you don't have a job. Don't do that. Um, Dave Ramsey would be really mad. Um, so, but what I'm saying is this, is you have to focus and you have to not pay attention to the storm, but what God has. And that's exactly what Paul did. So here's what happened the next day. The next day, the, the ship struck a reef. They landed on an island. And this is all you need to know. Some incredible things happened. Paul ended up going to Rome and basically we're here because of Paul 2000 years later. So what can you take from this is my challenge for you is when you're in the storm, try joy. Paul sat there in the midst of everyone whining, complaining. You don't hear him complaining. You hear him trusting. He knew what was going on, but this is what I, in the midst of your storm, try joy. In, in James chapter one, verse two, it says this, it says, I don't like this verse at all. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You you see what that says? Like pure joy. Now joy isn't happiness. It doesn't mean I'm happy. Woohoo. Hey, everything's going on. My life is falling apart. I'm so happy that joy is knowing that God's going to take care of you, knowing that whatever circumstance is headed your way, that God's in control and that his plan is going to work out for the best. Now that's a scary thing. And so it says, consider it pure joy when you face many trials. Trials are basically anything that disrupts your normal pattern of life. (laughs) Anything that disrupts your normal pattern of life. So when you're headed into a storm, that's going to disrupt your normal pattern of life. But then he goes on and he says this, James says this, says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's the storm that brings maturity. Because of the storm... Because I went through what I went through. I am a more mature person. Because you go through what you go through. You are a more mature person. You have more perseverance. You have more understanding. Every single guy on that boat that that almost sank. If we could interview them today. Well, they're dead. But if, if we could. If we'd have them up on this stage. They would all tell of an incredible story. And they would all tell how they're living their lives different. They would all tell of, of, of how God saved them. Right? And they're all more mature and more trusting. I met a guy named Richard Warnbrand. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him before. He was a pastor in Romania. And uh, I met him when he, I think he was 88. He lived in Southern California. Uh, he was tortured for his faith for about 25 years for being a Christian. 
He wouldn't denounce God. They tortured him, his family. Um, they did horrible things to him. Uh, I remember when he came out on the stage and, and uh, he came out with his little cane and I mean, he could barely walk because they, they beat him so bad. They beat the bottom of his heels uh, that he no longer had any heel bones. I mean, just horrible, but he was still an old guy and honorary as ever. And he got out and he sat on a chair and he started telling stories. When they would throw him into prison and they'd throw him into these dungeons for months at a time. And he said one time, He almost lost it. He said he was in the dungeon and it was months under there, underground. And uh, the only people that that came to see him were the guards every day because they would slide a bowl of soup under the door for him to eat. And he waited for that moment day after day. And that was his moment. And he'd pick up that soup and he, and he would talk about how he would he would kind of tilt it a little bit so he could see from the light of the hallway and the and the door and the the crack in the door. And uh, if it was a good day, there would just be a few worms in his soup. And if it was a bad day, there would be a lot of worms. And that's how he dictated what kind of day he had. And this went on over and over again. And he said at one time it was a breaking point. And he just was like, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I need to know that you're with me. And I need to know that you're here. And and he says, God, all I'm asking for is I've been tortured for years for you. God, I've been sitting in prison for you. God, they've taken my family and my children. And and all I ask is that tomorrow that there's no worms in the soup. Just no worms in the soup. That's all I want. No worms. Please give me no worms. And he just prayed that all night long, just believing that God would give him soup with no worms. And so the next morning he got up and about the time the soldier would come, it popped open the bottom of the door and slid the bowl in and he grabbed it and he, and he's praying, God, no worms today. And he kind of tilts it over into the light a little bit and he couldn't see anything and he was all excited. Then all of a sudden he looked and there were more worms than ever in his soup. And he took it and he threw it against the wall and he started screaming, it's not fair. And then he stopped and remembered that verse. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Then he remembered another verse that said, make a joyful noise to the Lord. He said, God, I don't want to make a joyful noise. I'm mad right now. I don't make a joyful noise to the Lord. And so he said, okay. So he gets up and in his chains, he says, hey, they kind of clang a little bit. And so he's kind of shaking them and they're kind of clinging. He's like, all right, I'll make a joyful noise. And he starts clanging his chains together and he's singing, woo, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. And he's going off and he's kind of dancing around, clinging. And all of a sudden he looks over and the soldier looks in with these big eyes and shuts it and uh, and takes off and he's just dancing around. He said he was having this incredible worship time, just like even in the midst of being in this dark, and he's clanging the chains. And all of a sudden the door opens up and these soldiers come in and they grab him and they pull him out and they bring him into the sunlight. And he's looking, he's going, what's going on? And they take him into the soldier's quarters and they sit him down and they're looking at him. They're saying, are you okay? And he's like, what do you mean? He's, are you crazy? You're going crazy. We can't have you go crazy because if you go crazy, then we can't torture you anymore. And so they bring him a big old steak and potato and they say, Hey, eat this and hope you feel better. And so he's like, awesome. And he starts eating the steak and potato and now he had to go back to prison, but this is what I'm saying. In the midst of that trial, he trusted. Even though there was a storm all around him, he said, God, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful. 
try joy. And the last one is this, is God can turn. God can turn your shipwreck into a new trek. God can turn, because of the story, when you hear this, God, God can turn your shipwreck into a new trek. What do I mean by that? Is God can take whatever shipwreck you've been through and change the direction of your life for the better. Change it for the good when you step and trust in him and follow him. I remember meeting with a young lady. She came into my office weeping. It's about four years ago. She said, I'm pregnant. I can't have a baby right now. Um, my parents are going to kill me. The church, I, you guys are going to kill me. And, and, and broken. She said, I, I've already had an appointment. I'm going to get an abortion today. Tell me why I shouldn't get an abortion. So I sat and I shared with her about how powerful life is and that God gave her that incredible gift. And, and she's like, no, I don't believe it. And I said, what about your parents? If you talk, you need to talk to, no, I'm not going to, the whole ghost, she didn't want nothing to do with God. She just wanted to get rid of that baby. And I remember praying for her and saying, no, don't, God has a plan. God has a plan for you. Even in the midst of, of this, God can deal with, God can change everything. She left that day. Just yesterday, I was on Facebook looking around. Saw this picture of this cute little girl. Click on it. It's that cute little girl. Is alive today. That girl has changed the life of that, that young girl. She's married. She's a mom. She's doing amazing. Now, now here's why I say this is in the midst of one of the darkest times of her life and she was going to give it all up. She said, you know what, God, I'm, even though this is going to hurt, I'm going to, I'm going to let it happen and I'm going to, I'm going to have this baby and I don't know what's going to go on. I, I know it's going to be stormy. I know it's going to be hard. And, and as she began to listen and obey God, he changed her shipwreck into a new trek. He changed her story into a better story. So so what does God have planned for you? Because some of you right now are in the midst of a storm. Some of you right now have no idea what's going on and the waves are crashing over and this is one of the ways you trust in him. Some of you have already been shipwrecked and you're about to give up and you're about to say, you know what, I'm done. And, and here's my challenge for you is let God use your brokenness to bring about goodness because he can do that. That's what makes you a legend. There's some single moms in this room today. You are a legend in God's eyes. There's some blended families in here that were broken and torn apart and now trying to make it back. You are a legend in God's eyes. There are some widows and widowers. You are a legend in God's eyes. Why? Because through the midst of these storms, some of you have lost your job. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost... The list goes on and on and on. What I'm saying is, all a legend is is saying, I'm going to trust you, God. And I'm going to and I'm gonna hold on to you. And so my challenge for you is be a legend. Be that legend. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this church. I do. I thank you for these people. I thank you, God, that you've called us all to something bigger than ourselves. And Lord, I want to pray for comfort for those right now who are in the midst of the storm, who are in the midst of a shipwreck, 
that God, that you would intervene in their life, that you would break down a wall and barrier where they feel they're so far away from you, but to know that you're right there in their midst and all they have to do is reach out, that you're right there holding them, that you're right there knowing that their life has value, that their shipwreck isn't fatal, that it actually can help them grow. And so I want to pray, God, that you move in a powerful way in the hearts of the people that need to hear that right now in your name. Amen.